We really think European butter from France is the best butter. And our friend, the expert baker and best-selling cookbook author David Leibovitz agrees. Check out our recent episode with David to find out how he cooks with quality butter. And for recipes, tips, and cooking advice, go to tasteeurope.com. I actually, I wrote a screenplay once many, many years ago, um, and this uh, kid who was a TV director at that point read it and didn't like it, quite rightfully, because it wasn't any good, but that was Steven Spielberg. He was a, a friend of a friend of mine, uh, which would have changed my life, I guess, if it had been a better screenplay. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Next up on our week-long tribute to Savor is Coleman Andrews, one of the publication's founding editors who also served as editor-in-chief from 1996 to 2001. Coleman's travel writing and recipe-based reporting had him traveling the world in search of the good stuff well before Bourdain coined the term, and he served as the beating heart for the publications for nearly a decade. On this episode, we talk about some of his earliest stories in Savour and how he and fellow editors really changed the game of food writing forever. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Coleman Andrews, welcome to This Is Taste. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Uh, it's just really cool to have you in the studio. Well, and this is part of our, our Savour Week. Uh, you and Dorothy uh, founded Savour with others, and we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. I want to first start and ask you, you in your memoir, which is great, My Unusual Table, I love that. I've been reading it. Usual Table, not Unusual Table. Oh. That's that's another uh, book I haven't written yet. My God, I have <laughs> my notes are wrong. Thanks for correcting me. That's all right. Um, it's a good title, though. Yeah, I, I, I feel... Um, it could go both ways, actually. <laughs> I love it. It's almost like a Freudian slip because I feel like usual and unusual is how you how you roll. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, but but I've been reading it, and and we talk, and you talk a bit about the founding of the magazine as well right. as your your life. But in 1994, when you launched the magazine, you wrote that you you weren't reading food magazines. You didn't read any that were being published at the time. Why were you not reading magazines? I went through a period years before that when I was in college and after college and so forth where I, I read uh, all all the classic books of the time on food, M.F.K. Fisher, A.J. Liebling, uh, Joseph Wexberg, all those people. And I read Gourmet Magazine pretty religiously. Um, that was probably the only one I read, but that was the one that was the most serious. I uh, had the, the most uh, in-depth, uh, you know, a lot of travel-based uh, food stories. And there's really no reason why I stopped reading them except uh, I don't know. I just, um, I kind of lost interest. It's like, yeah, I knew it all. Well, that's obviously not true, but um, it, I was getting less and less from them. And I was never that interested in just reading recipes uh, unless it was a, a recipe for a kind of food I was trying to learn or something. Mm-hmm. But um, And, uh, you know, there's a lot of the other magazines had a lot of focus on uh, celebrity chefs or, or just plain celebrities uh, who would invite you over to their house and do this staged dinner party and things like that. Uh, just, I, I mean, it, it, not, not to criticize those magazines because they were all doing a pretty good job yeah. of what they did, but it just didn't interest me at the time. Well, you know, you write about in your memoir, how severe rejected, you know, the recipe test kitchen in some ways. You rejected the idea of the low-fat cassoulet, which is a great note, and and really, I, I take that as well. And you re- rejected writing recipes without context, and mm-hmm. and we're going to get into those early meetings with you and Dorothy and the team, but but let's get into that just from the jump. 
Um, well, well, we we definitely had had a, we took test kitchen very seriously and and tested recipes. Uh, mm -hmm. We had, had a succession of great people running the test kitchens. Uh, and uh, test kitchen uh, in different locations. And uh, it was very important to us. What I had said was that there was a, a kind of uh, a test kitchen that would have a, a large staff and would have uh, almost a, uh, an assembly line. And they would, mm -hmm. you know, doing an article on artichokes and they'd get in, uh, you know, three flats of artichokes and they'd do everything they possibly could with them and develop new recipes and try and, you know, some classic recipes and whatever. And that's fine. And that worked for them. Um, the first article we did on artichokes was by a, a pretty well-known uh, food historian named Clifford Wright, specialty in the Mediterranean. And it was about a country where artichokes are perhaps the most important vegetable of that country being Syria. Uh, I would dare say a lot of places, a lot of publications at that time, much less today, yeah. would be likely to run any kind of an article about yeah, and Syria. Yeah, we're talking about the the early '90s right. and yeah. and seriously politically, yeah, you know, uh, absolutely, place. Uh, absolutely. But but that that was a part of the culture. The artichokes are a major part of the culture there, the culinary culture in that country. So that's the article we did. Yeah, and and I'll I'll step back and just say like when I said you rejected the test kitchen, obviously Savor is well known to having a test kitchen. It was more the traditional test kitchen, which was the assembly line, right, as you noted. Right. Let's go back to the first time you you worked with Dorothy. Sure. Um, it was for a roundup of port, and you write about this in your memoir, and you can tell me about it. You mm -hmm. written a, a typical service piece, uh, which you was of the time. You know, service was a big part of food writing at the mm -hmm. time, and that's what you did a lot of as well as obviously a lot of nar narrative. Mm -hmm. But then you know she kicked it back and said, "We need more feeling." It needs to be having. Uh, you need to be informed in discovery. Let's talk right. about that that meeting you had with her. Right. Um, I, I don't honestly know. I may have written this. I, I don't know if that was actually the first thing I ever oh, wrote, okay. but it was one of the early ones, and it was for a magazine called Apartment Life, which evolved into Metropolitan Home, which is where I worked uh, most with Dorothy before Sever. Um, and I wrote, I used to do these articles for other publications and what I do is, okay, I'm writing something about port. So I'd have an expense account and I'd buy, uh, you know, 15 bottles of good port. I'd sit there and I'd taste them all and my neighbors would pass by and say, oh, that poor guy. <laughs> uh, and, um, then, you know, I'd do some history, uh, research and, and, uh, say, you know, this is the origins of port and this is, uh, here are the, the ones I like the best and here's some tasting notes for them. Blah. And that was it. And that formula had worked perfectly well for me for some years as a freelance. But uh, Dorothy said, well, you, you know, you're not in this article. And, and when did you discover port? And what did you first think about it? And what do you think about it now? And and what is your, you know, your personal experience of it? And, and I had sort of been discouraged from... Uh, doing that kind of thing by other publications. Well, don't use the first-person pronoun, you know. Uh, nobody cares what you think. They want to know whatever. And Dorothy said, no, no, we do care what you think. That's why we're asking you to write it rather than somebody else. And then started your relationship with Dorothy. And I, I really wanted to focus on that moment because, you know, things changed after that. And yeah. that the idea of the narrative, like narrative food writing, mm -hmm. using I, using first-person, and explaining not just, it's not about authority, it's about discovery. And that's Absolutely. really what Savor was founded on. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the idea was we don't know everything. We're going to do our research so we don't just go in blind. And then 
as we discover it, we're going to tell you uh, what we discover and how we discovered it. It's amazing. Take you along with us. And the, the reason we're de- dedicating this week to, to your magazine, the founding of it, is th- this is the start of what informs what we do as f- in food media and what we do in cookbooks. Yeah, yeah, so. It's such an important moment in, in history, and such it's so I'm so happy you're here to tell me about it. Oh, I'm glad you feel that way. I, I really do, and I think many people share my opinion how the early Savor and later Savor just informed what we do. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about those early meetings, those mm-hmm. first editorial meetings when it's you, Dorothy, had been successful and you can listen to her episode mm-hmm. previously about her career with apartment life. Um, but then you guys all came together and said, we need to do a different food magazine. What are those first meetings like? Well, sitting around in a conference room and really making it up as we went along. <laughs> oh, we should, we should do this. No, I don't know about that. Everyone does that. Well, what if we do this? And Well, let's do that, but do it a different way. And, and uh, really key to the discussions, it wasn't uh, myself and Dorothy, it was the two of us uh, Christopher Hersheimer, I'd like to talk a little more about her uh, her involvement and her development too, uh, and Michael Grossman, who was the uh, creative director, in, in effect the designer, among other things, and he had other kinds of input. Um, and um, but he, even actually before he was really involved, the three of us were sort of sitting around saying, you know, what what kind of things would we like to read? What what would what would make us want to read food magazines? Yeah, uh, and we, we kept coming back to. Food in context, the story behind the food, uh, the people that made it, um, and you know my my point. You mentioned the low fat cassoulet. There had been a recipe in the New York Times for low fat cassoulet, and I think it was turkey sausage and and whatever, whatever. And and I said, you know, it, it's fine. You could probably make if you're a decent cook, you can make a very nice tasting dish with turkey sausage and beans and you know olive oil instead of uh, duck fat or, or yeah. whatever. Uh, but don't call it cassoulet because cassoulet has a hundreds of year uh, old. Uh, history and it means a lot to the places that it came from and the traditions and it's made a certain way in different uh, in different parts of the region for for different reasons. Uh, let's honor that and let's try to. We can't do it exactly like they do it because we're not them, but let's try to make it as close as we can. And just to add to that. It's not just the recipes, but the photography and the mm-hmm. art direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And shooting in situ, which is a mm-hmm. big part of food media now, my cookbook work and many of ours right. are around. That's like the North Star is like right, sure. in, in the on-location shooting. And But you decided early that you needed to do that. Well, and I, I mean, I'm sure Dorothy talked about the the – Origins of the magazine with with the French server, but yep. uh, that was one of the things. You know, the idea was we would use their photography and translate their stories and so forth, which turned out not to be a good idea. Not but, a great idea. But no. but <laughs> their food photography would be they'd do something about a uh, you know a fisherman uh, in the Gironde, and they'd have an old dilapidated fishing boat, and then it would be set with with a fine crystal and a and a, and a candelabra, and you know, <laughs> said, no, that's not what we want to do. You know, we want to make the food uh, look the way it, it should look and the surroundings look the way they should look. Now, I did a um, an episode of uh, one of Robin Leach's shows once with- Wow, one, one, Robin Leach. Yeah. I love that yeah. reference. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh my God, if you don't know who Robin Leach is, fa- friends, uh, yeah. Google that shit. Yeah, he, he, was, uh, he was a piece of work. But uh, there was a, a food stylist on from, I don't remember where she worked, and she was saying things like, well, you know, when- and he said, well, what are some of the secrets of food styling? And well, one of them is, you know, when you cook, uh, when you show pasta, you can't have any ends of the noodles sticking out. You have to tuck them all in. And I said, oh, my God, let me call Christopher right away and tell her to tuck those. In. I mean, it was just the silliest thing. And um, one of the things, that, whether or not this is obvious to people uh, with at least the the era uh, when, when Christopher was uh, uh, and Dorothy and, and I were there, uh, 
all the food photography that she did and most of what other people did was all done with natural light. Yep. There was not a single yep. um, a light that came in. Uh, on a, you know, I mean, and when you're talking when you're talking about shooting reportage, you can't hug lug lights around right. with you, yeah. and that's right. just it's out of necessity. But also, when shooting natural light, it's it's beautiful. It's it's just a certain energy to that. Yeah, we we, we did take a lot of. Uh, oh, well, can, would you mind if we take this plate outside and put it on a of chair course. under the oak tree? You know, and yeah, okay, we still so, do that today. It's, yeah, it's required. Yeah. Let's go back to that issue one meetings and just like mm. I have a couple questions about issue sure. one. Let's first talk editorial i'll also talk about business but yeah, yeah. what are do you remember some of the ideas that were floating around what you needed to do for the issue one well i i think at, at that point we were still considering uh, translating articles oh. from um from the french original i think we ended up publishing maybe three or four uh articles i don't know if there were any in the first issue i honestly don't remember that that were translations uh, of uh, of the french but um I know we wanted to do probably, it may well have been the idea of the writer, Peggy Knickerbocker, but uh, we really wanted to do something about Oaxaca, mm-hmm. which uh, now is kind of commonplace. Now there's Oaxacan restaurants yeah. in every other block and, and uh, you know, everybody, uh, there's millions of mezcals out there when at that point there was almost none. Um, and uh, we wanted to do something about the, the different moles of, of Oaxaca. And so we did this article and we did I think one of my favorite covers ever uh, of this wonderful woman with uh, holding a a bowl of uh, squash blossom soup. And uh, not the kind of thing you would see on other food magazines at that at that point. Yeah, real certainly. real people yeah. and real real objects and no yeah. no prop styling. But you know, we I mean, I it obviously uh, took us a while to get up and running and refine what we did. I think, but yeah. uh, I'm, I think that first issue was was great and it had. Um, it had a lot of. Uh, I, I don't have it in front of me. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, tell you everything else that was in it. But one of the things that we did, uh, which we established from the first issue, was we had this um, this roster of contributing editors, which was uh, you know a combination of the people I knew and Christopher knew and Dorothy knew, and I mean it was. Uh, Marion Cunningham, Alice mm. Waters, Ken Hom, Sheila Lukens. Paula Wolfer, Jonathan Waxman, uh, um, Deborah Madison, uh, you know, Daryl Corti from Sacramento, uh, that really were um, some of the top people in in food and wine at the time. But also, and, it's a blend of of working chefs, cookbook mm, authors, right, and exactly, journalists. Exactly, exactly. Cool, and and I think that instinct is it was was radical in a way yeah. that actual chefs could 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 write. Food editorial. Yep, yep. And some of them wrote, some of them didn't write, but they were available if we had questions. And, you know, uh, Paula Wolford actually wrote some very good pieces for us. And Yeah, it's, uh, um, let's talk about the business case, because I I really want to get a sense, was there a a market for this magazine? Did you feel that from issue one, you were successful financially? You know, that's, that's really not my, my side of things. And it's, uh, it's hard for me to say. I know that in the early years, uh, we did get a lot of very impressive advertising, uh, a lot of big names uh, in not just in food and, and wine, in fact, less in food and wine, but in, you know, in, in cars and, and uh, travel mm-hmm. and, and cosmetics and, and uh, all kinds of other really blue chip advertisers. Um, I, I was never involved on the business side. Yeah. Um, Bless you for not being, having to. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, exactly. And, and Dorothy was much more of a liaison yeah. between, between the two sides, was a liaison between the two yeah. sides. 
but she kind of, uh, it was kind of a point of pride that, that she, which we much appreciated, that she insulated the the rest yeah. of us from uh, from having to worry about that. A good editor-in-chief does that. Yeah, and exactly. Lets you, lets you cook, essentially. But let's talk about budgets, though. I'd mm-hmm. just like to reminisce a little bit about how, you know, back then, you know, you had some budget. You could travel a little bit. And the, the magazine, let's talk a, a little bit about where you were going and maybe like a little bit of what the expense account was looking like. It was pretty pretty mm-hmm. nice back then, right? I mean, I, it's uh, <laughs> this wonderful situation, which uh, was basically uh, Christopher and I uh, did many, many stories together. We traveled together. Uh, and she would not only be the photographer, but she'd kind of be the, uh, uh, the, the, I want to say recipe, but I mean, she'd be the, the food mind, uh, from the test kitchen side too, saying, well, that, yeah, that might be a little difficult, but we can, you know, whatever, let's, let's try this, get them to do that, ask her, they'll do that. But, um, yeah, we could pretty much decide where we wanted to go and it would be, you know, let's go. I mean, I, I think, uh, one of the things that stands out is uh, we did, because of current situations, uh, we did a story in Israel. There was a, a writer named Ehud Yane, who I had known when I worked at um, New West Magazine in Los Angeles. He was a, a writer there. He's the one that wrote the original story that Top Gun is based on. Oh, wow. And uh, anyway, he moved, he, and he had an olive oil business uh, uh, from the uh, from the Galilee where his family farm was. And he said, people used to say, oh, I didn't know they had olive oil in Israel. Yeah. And he'd say, read your Bible, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <You know? And laughs> yeah, read, read, those, read some older books, yeah. older texts. Yeah. Um, but, but he moved back to Israel and uh, was engaged to be married to a Moroccan Jewish woman who lived next door. And they invited us to the wedding. Mm. And so we went, and it was a wedding where there was there were uh, his his father had been very involved with the with the um, uh, the local Arab community, and so he had these these Bedouins were friends who came and they cooked their food, this big lamb and you know they made coffee uh, from scratch you know grinding the beans and roasting them and wow. and then they had the Moroccan Jewish table which was very elaborate and you know a different kind of food yeah and and we did this great story and. Um, uh, we happen to be there in a in a quiet period, luckily. Uh, but uh, that's the kind of thing we could just get off. We could go off and do that. And um, but you, you know, probably traveled light, and the budget, even though you were traveling and you had budget, it still wasn't yeah. like a gourmet or even like a food and wine budget. N- no, it certainly it certainly wasn't the uh, the glory days of gourmet kind of budget. Yeah. But but uh, and we we flew uh, you know we, we flew economy class unless we, at one point we had a, a trade deal with Lufthansa so we could fly nice. Uh, uh, you know, over there and then connect from uh, from Frankfurt or something. But um, no, but yeah, we, you know, we um, we weren't profligate, let's say, but uh, but we didn't, uh, it wasn't backpacking either. It wasn't back. Fair no. enough. And I appreciate the saying it wasn't backpacking. Uh, Coleman, let's talk a little bit more about other spots you were traveling in those early issues of mm-hmm. Sivor. Do you, do you get a sense, uh, was there adventure? Was there, was there havoc? Was there, was there things that went wrong that you fixed? I mean, from my experience, this happened literally every trip, but <laughs> tell me. <laughs> well, there, there were, yeah, there, there were always, uh, little glitches and misconnections and, mm-hmm. uh, Christopher had a, had a great story. I wasn't involved with this, but, uh, we were doing something in, uh, in New England. Uh, and, um, 
the, there was a, a man that uh, writer um, whose name I won't mention, but he um, very good writer and a good friend of ours, and he had a cousin uh, named Chuck. <laughs> who was known for his clam chowder, I think it was. And this whole uh, shoot was based around going up to wherever he was in the, in Massachusetts and, you know, and they have Christopher and, who, and whoever the writer was get there. And, and uh, uh, they, our friend says, uh, oh, huh, you're a little late. Chuck just left. And this became um, a, a catchphrase like Chuck just left, you know, <laughs> just like, okay. Um, but no, I mean, there weren't any, any great tragedies. I mean, I, I do remember we were doing a story in Provence and we had to go out to this island, the Ile de Pocarole, and, um, we missed the ferry. And, uh, so how do we get out there? And we actually found a, a woman that had a, had a boat that would take people out there and we managed it and she leaves us on this rocky beach and <laughs> pre cell phone. And we have to say, okay, now how do we? get to the hotel and yeah. but we, we worked it out. Hitchhiking, you worked it out. Yeah. And speaking of technology, this is pre-digital. Yeah. Uh, so when you're shooting on location, I mean, protecting the film must have mm-hmm. been a big issue. I mean, that, that film leaves your possession. You have no story. There was a story we did about um, a once famous, uh, kind of sort of forgotten now, French chef Jacques Maxima in the in Provence. And uh, he had opened a small restaurant at his home uh, near Vence. And uh, we did this story there. And he was a kind of a difficult person to deal with. And we said, you know, we'd like to shoot this, this, and this. And he said, no, uh, an entree, un plat, un dessert. You know, he was going to decide. And we, we, we walked around it. But um, anyway, we, the film uh, was shot and got home. And Christopher um, drove home from the airport, or her husband picked her up from the airport um, back in, uh, in New Jersey and uh, Pennsylvania. And um, the um, for some reason, she said she never does this, but she left everything in the car, her equipment and everything in the car. And this is rural Pennsylvania. Next morning, it's all gone. Oh, my gosh. So we actually went back and we we didn't dare ask him to let us shoot again. So we literally did this thing where we were just having lunch and I'd be sitting there and we'd order some food and she'd say, oh, Coleman, let me take your picture. And then she'd go, yeah, you know, and and we and we got a good story. It worked out, of it. out but uh, you guys literally had to go all the way back. Yeah, exactly, yeah. To Provence to. Yeah, do that, that. that's a that's a terrible uh, yeah. burden on us having to go back to Provence. Yeah, yeah. there was no like we G, hated that no G drive <laughs> that you could just like upload yeah. your photos to after no, no, shooting. No, not at all. It's, it's, there it's, weren't no cloud. The only no clouds cloud. were in the sky. Yeah, and 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 it, it makes those early issues special to, to realize that hmm. all the effort, especially with. Pre, I mean, you were using, I'm sure, obviously, Apple was in your world in 94 to lay out. But layouts were, tr- mm-hmm. were trickier, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, that's not something I had to had to be involved with. But, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I, I actually remember when we first got uh, our early days, um, we did not have external email. Yeah. And I remember when we got that. In fact, we had or, – or internet. And I remember it was probably three years in or something that uh, suddenly, oh, you mean I can just – you know, really? I, I can send a message to this person over at this other company or this other, you know, at, you know really? Yeah. It's amazing to think about technology because you write in your memoir about being at New West and being a writer and mm-hmm. being 
uh, you write about being included in the memorandum circulation. Yeah, for, yeah. And that's the way yeah, you as an outsider yeah. got linked into yeah, yeah. what was happening. Yeah, well, it, I mean, in, in New West, uh, they actually bought the newsroom set up from all the president's men uh, to to furnish the uh, the office at New West. You literally and, from the set yeah, of the film. Yeah, exactly. All, all the, uh, all the, uh, the desks and the partitions and all that. And everyone, of course, had typewriters. So you walked in there and it was this cacophony of, of typewriters. And I remember one of the writers came in one day and he said, I just bought a word processor. I said, what do you mean a word processor? I'm a word processor and this is my printout mechanism, <laughs> you know, and little did I know. Wow. Have you, have you done any screenwriting? Have you, have you thought about getting these, these uh, stories down? I feel early food media my, could be rich. <laughs> my father was a screenwriter. Um, Anything we know? Novelist and screenwriter. Um, if you stay up really late and you like war movies from the 1940s, maybe. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I actually I wrote a screenplay once many, many years ago. Um, and this uh, kid who was a TV director at that point read it. And didn't like it quite rightfully because it wasn't any good. But that was Steven Spielberg, <laughs> which would have been a he was a, a friend of a friend of mine, uh, which would have changed my life, I guess, if it had been a better screenplay. But that no, that's it, that's all. That's, if you've uh, if you've seen that movie about Steven Spielberg's life, you you know how uh, yeah. eager he was as a young man. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I mean I mean the the thing I always thought I, I was never really attracted to writing screenplays because um, as part of being an editor is I like to have control. Yeah, I like to, you know, I mean, I would have to be the producer, director, uh, whatever to otherwise, if, you know, throw a screenplay out there and everybody starts rewriting it yeah. and, you know, whatever. I, I wouldn't like that. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. Biggest coup from Savour from those days that you a story you got in the magazine that, man, looking back, this was a big deal to get this in. Well, I mean, I, I would have to say, and, and again, a chef that was incredibly famous, and if we were talking to your audience 20 years ago, 25 years ago, they'd ooh and ah, uh, was Freddie Girardet, who had uh, a restaurant called Girardet in, um, in Switzerland. It was called, the other chefs called him uh, Le Pape, hmm. the Pope. Um, he was that respected and that well-known. He sold his restaurant to his sous chef, Philippe Rochat who had been with him for many, many years. And he sort of thought that he would be welcomed back in the kitchen as an advisor and whatever. And Rochat said, no, this is my restaurant now. Uh, you know, we, we don't, uh, you know, come in for dinner, but I, you know, <laughs> stay out of the kitchen. So he, he was very disillusioned and not very happy. We somehow, through a, a connection I had in the Swiss wine business, talked him into cooking a meal for us at his house. Mm. So uh, we went to his house, met his wife. Uh, I say he cooked it well. He sort of supervised. He had a couple of his former employees in who actually did the work. And, you know, we, we asked his wife at one point if he cooked dinner for her. And she said, no, absolutely no, he's, not. he's serving he, cognac. He's, he's not that kind of a cook, you know. He's <laughs> not. Um, and, but, I, I mean, at, at the time to have, it was called uh, Girardet after Girardet. Uh, and, uh, I, th I thought that was uh, great headline. That was quite a coup. A uh, as far as I was concerned, means nothing to anybody now, but no, it's a great story. What about a location that you shot in? You talk about shooting in Syria in the early nineties, anything else that comes to mind right away about, uh, you know, locations that maybe now are like big food destinations, but maybe back in the nineties wasn't. Well, I mean, I mean, Catalonia, which is, uh, one of the as you know, my specialties. But I, I think, you know, we were able to, we did several big comprehensive issues, one on Burgundy, one on Venice, one on California. 
um, and one on Ireland. I mean, Ireland's a good example of something that, you know, the, we had to listen to all the jokes about, oh, Irish food, you know, yeah. three kinds of potatoes and, uh, <laughs> you know, and a, a six pack of Guinness or something, you know, Yeah. to which I'd always reply, you know, you don't drink Guinness from a six pack. Oh, that's a great <laughs> response. Like, shut up. Um, and also yeah. seafood is like the best in the world. Oh, yeah, so yeah. let's and, be real. And, and now, I mean, there's there's incredible restaurants there now on, yeah. on every level. But uh, we, we're kind of ahead of the curve with that, I think. But even with, with Burgundy and Venice, which are certainly in Venice, I mean, uh, obviously incredibly... Uh, uh, well-known and a cliched tourist destination, but, you know, we got invited to the the house uh, of a uh, fishmonger from the fish market who cooked a big Sunday meal for us and, and uh, uh, things things that were not uh, accessible, let's say, to everybody. Yeah, that's... Those are cool memories. I, I feel like I want to. I want to go back and read more of early Savoy. How do you? Mm-hmm. How do you actually access these these issues? Do you have a, a sense? Is it? Can you? Can you buy them online? Or, I mean, I, I have complete sets. A couple of complete sets, I think. But um, it's interesting. I don't know. And this would have been something to ask if you've talked to Cat already. Yeah. Uh, some stories of mine and of other people's uh, from that era are online, and some are not. And I have. I really don't. I can't make any sense of why, you know, some made the cut and some didn't. Um, unfortunately, for rights reasons, none of the photographs that Christopher took are, are on the website. But Interesting. Well, we, we did speak with Kat, and, and her episode mm-hmm. will air later in this mm-hmm. week, mm-hmm. and you will hear all about the new Savor and the reason mm-hmm. I wanted to do sure. this whole uh, week of, of, of episodes is because it's it's really changing, and, and oh, yeah. Kat is a big part of oh, that sure. story. Oh, I know it is. Yeah, that's great. No, it's it's wonderful. So so stay tuned for Kat Craddock yeah. uh, later on. Why did you end up leaving the magazine? So the uh, company was kind of a strange way this all this all came around, but um, the company that published the French magazine was called Bonnier, which was uh, there's there's two big publishing families that are related. Uh, one is Swedish, and it's they, I think they pronounce it Bonnier, mm-hmm. and then Bonnier is the hilarious, one, whatever. But yeah. but um, the Swedish uh, uh, side of the family uh, bought into World Publications, which had published uh, Sever, and uh, came in and looked around and started uh, asking questions, and they I, I had to fire a bunch of people at their at their insistence, mm-hmm. which uh, I didn't like. And the design of the magazine changed tremendously. I saved a whole sheaf of of um, responses from the <laughs> public uh, who were not very happy and said it looked like some cheap supermarket magazine. Did you now just and all that. lose budget for photography? Is that why, or does it just be? No, it was. A, it, it, I mean, I, I don't know. Again, this was a decision that came from from the top, from uh, from World and from from Bonnier, and um, the they brought new people in, brought a new art director, new photo editor, uh, new managing editor, and so forth, and and everything changed, and the standards were different. Yeah. Um, so that was part of it. But then the day came when um, the man that ran the uh, ran World Publications came in and said, "You know, you make more money than anyone here." I said, "Yeah, I, you know, I deserve it, whatever." And I said, "Well, we we'll keep you on, but we're going to cut your salary by half." Oh. And I said, "No, I don't think so." So. Um, Luckily, uh, Ruth Reichel, my old friend and colleague, uh, former colleague in many different publications, it seems, um, had um, offered me a job as the restaurant writer, restaurant reporter for Gourmet. So at a, a very... Uh, Good timing. Yeah, and, and, a, and a very generous salary. So uh, I went and did that until 
Gourmet was folded, which was unfortunate. Um, and I, I still think that was a silly idea. I, I told um, Iris Carmen, who was writing at that point, the uh, the media column for Women's Wear Daily. Uh, she asked me for a quote, and I said, yeah, I think Condé closing Gourmet is like that old definition of suicide, that it's a temporary, or a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Hmm. Put that but, put that in print. Yeah, but but you know they I mean they had an incredibly valuable brand and they thought I think they thought the brand would still be valuable after the magazine was gone, but I don't think that happened. Well, we'll get into that at some point because I think the death of gourmet and, and the lack of digital strategy from from Condé Nast is a rich text and and really I'd like to get a sense of when you were working at Gourmet when you mm-hmm. with this what, what you were there I mean toward the end I'm sure the budgets were different, but you were there at a great time. I mean you yeah. probably were 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 getting a nice expense account. Um, I, I have to say I wasn't technically there because I, I was never in the office. I think I went in the office once. But um, but yeah, I mean, again, as had been the case at Sever, if I said, okay, I'd like to go to Italy and do this uh, place that has been described as the best restaurant in Italy, sure, go ahead, you know. And so, yeah, it wasn't a expensive. I mean, I you know, I, I couldn't go crazy, but uh, it wasn't really a, a problem. Um I just want to, as an aside, I think we're getting this conversation. We haven't talked to actually about your work um, in, in detail because we're covering a lot of broader topics. But right. man, you're really good. I think it needs to be said that your writing is absolutely um, original, full of voice, full of detail. And it's the mm-hmm. kind of food writing that um, even if it's an older story, you just fall I fall into your memoir. Yeah. And well, thank you. I think it just needs to be said that this isn't some luck that you happen to be you at the, at the beginning of Savor and writing for Gourmet. It's talent. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, let's talk a little bit about The Daily Meal because you mm-hmm. ended up going from Gourmet mm-hmm. to launching um, a website, which actually when when it launched, it was it was an interesting idea. And mm-hmm. did did you really – you thought it was going to work? Well, it wasn't my concept. It was the concept of Jim Spanfeller who, who was the, uh, the man that put it together and that hired me. Um, and it was a very ambitious concept. It was. And um, there was never the support to uh, to bring those ambitions to fruition. There was never the the budget. Um, there, it tried to do too much, let's say. And uh, the Daily Meal today, I think, is uh, you know, it's a very very different site. But uh, oh, it's still around today. Oh, oh I know. Yeah. Oh, well, oh, I, oh, you I, didn't I, know that. That's a oh. question mark. Yeah. I didn't oh, uh-huh. uh huh. It's around. It's definitely around. Um, okay. Owned by these same people that own the Tasting Table and uh, and several other. These are food. like ghosts of 2010. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, this is no shade, obviously. I'm just saying yeah. I, I was unaware that yeah. Daily Meal was still around. I should check it out. Yeah, and, and actually, they, they do a lot of smart stuff. I mean, they've been doing all this. I suddenly started getting these tweets, and and I didn't, I hadn't realized it had been sold uh, again, and and because it was bought by the Tribune Company okay. in, uh, in Chicago. Uh, I suddenly started getting these tweets and these stories. It would be like they did this whole series of any of the food or drink um, contestants on Shark Tank. Uh, it was like, wh- where is so-and-so today? Huh. Whatever happened to so-and-so? And yeah. uh, you know, very interesting stories. And, Absolutely. Uh, and I think for a certain genre, that, that's actually a very wide audience and, and smart yeah, business. Definitely. Um, I'll definitely check out Daily Meal. I didn't yeah, realize that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when you were there, you, you come from a traditional print background, but then sure. you're mm-hmm. – thrown into this world of the internet and, mm. and you know, a little early social media. And I, I've worked in food media and online around right. that time I started, right. I've started earlier, but what, was it a fit? Did you, did you feel like you were doing something cool? You know, I, I went in thinking that I could probably adapt a lot of what I did uh, to the site and realistically 
maybe 10% of what I had learned to do or knew uh, with print was applicable. And, um, you know, I, I said to somebody, it was it's like, you know, working with your hands, like, okay, I'm a pretty good um, furniture maker. I'm not really, but I'm a pretty good furniture maker. I think I'll play classical guitar, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we are still using your fingers, but it's, I mean, it's, it's yeah. yeah, apples and papaya. Yeah, I mean, exactly. it's, it's a different yeah. game. A valiant, valiant effort, and yeah. and really respect that you were you were trying yeah. to bridge generations. Um, yeah. Really, really challenging. Yeah. Um, let me ask you what you like to read today. I you, I, I got greeted you in our lobby, and you're reading an issue of the New Yorker. It looks like, or or, or yeah. something. Yeah, uh, like any good true true journalist always has some kind of reading material <laughs> in their hand. Um, what do you like to read? Um, I, again, I I don't read much as far as magazines i i read the new yorker which i still we, we still get my wife and i uh, she likes it too we still get the old-fashioned paper version yeah. of them she's also she also gets it online um i read the new york times uh, including the magazine and the book review i read uh, our local paper in connecticut and uh as far as regularly other than that um as far as periodicals i i I don't really read anything regularly. And again, it's not because I don't, I'm not interested or I don't like other things. It's just, I don't seem to have time. And part of it is I, I pretty much, I can safely say I work seven days a week. I don't necessarily work eight hours a day, seven days a week, but I work every day. And, um, and because I'm dealing with words, I'm putting words together, I'm, you know, creating them myself or I'm fine tuning somebody else's or something. I, it's just like, it, it doesn't seem appealing to me to sit down and read somebody else's words a lot. I don't yeah. know. Terrible thing to say. But. No, it's, it's, it's the truth. When you're on deadline, you, you, you can't pick up any, uh, any extra noise in, in, you know, in your yeah. brain, but are there any food writers that you, you are drawn towards? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I like, um, besides all of the, you know, the, the people that, uh, have been around for a while that, you know, Ruth is a good example and I always enjoyed reading her and, but, um, Lagaya Michan and mm -hmm. Tejal Rao and, and people like that, that are, uh, really bringing a, a different, uh, point of view, but they're, they're really good writers. I mean, I, uh, the only thing I, you know, we get, as I said, we get the, um, I didn't say, but we get the New York times in, in paper form too. And, um, every month or something, there's a, a tea magazine, this big, thick, glossy, yeah. basically fashion magazine. And, uh, my wife reads it through and I take, and I just turn to, uh, the guy, the guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm 150% on board yeah. with that. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's the always only thing interesting I read. stuff and yeah. it's always well, well crafted. And, um, you know, and other than that, again, um, I don't, I'm trying to think with the last. You picked some good people. I'm, 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 I'm yeah. liking those. Tejal and the guy are, yeah. are, are great. Oh, one other person I should mention is, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Gustavo Aureliano. Of course, who, uh, great you know, yeah, and I mean, I mean, Taco USA was great, but now he's doing stuff for the LA Times, LA and, Times, and yeah. uh, he would have been uh, somebody I would have hired in a second. In fact, any of them I would have hired in a second uh, to be at the old Savour, at, at, at Savour, or yeah. anywhere else. Coleman, do you have any regrets from when you were running Savour in terms of the editorial content or, or the framing or anything like that? The failing or one failing of Savour was that we didn't cast the net wide enough um, for people from other cultures and other people that were not um, white, 
male or female, um, fairly well-educated food writers, that there are a lot of other options. And, you know, my excuse would have been, well, they didn't come to us. And then the other side of me, you know, the angel, the angel on one side, the devil on the other side of my shoulder, the, the angel says, yeah, but you didn't go out looking for them. You didn't encourage them, which we didn't. And I, I look at that now as a, as a failure because we, we could have had, um, much, uh, a much richer magazine, I think. Um, <laughs> it was kind of a joke. Um, our, uh, Michael Grossman, our, our creative director, when we'd sit around tossing article ideas around and we'd say, well, Michael, what do you think we should write about? And he'd say, Africa. Mm. I'd say, yeah, Africa. That's yeah. not, that's not a story subject. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's a very broad topic. What do you mean Africa? Well, I, I mean, today that would be a much easier question to answer. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's I'm just wanted to say that. I'm glad you brought, no, I'm yeah. really glad you brought that up because I, when you, when you hear this interview, you hear a lot of European centric yeah. white oh, storylines. Um, I think later on James Osland and of course what Kat is doing now, um, reflects the, the changes that have been made in food media. Mm -hmm. And I really, I respect that you can acknowledge that you lacked, you had yeah. blind, blind yeah. spots for sure. And, yeah. and it seems um, we've come a long way since then. Coleman, on This Is Taste, we ask guests about their discerning taste. So to close this interview, here's a little rapid-fire Fast and Furious taste check. Are you ready? I'm ready. The best breakfast. Can I give slightly longer answers? <laughs> I, they have to be really fast. You are a man of words. Yes, you uh, can give slightly well, longer. When I, I was on the Today Show. Uh, I used to do that pretty regularly at, at Severa, and they asked me to do a, a segment on uh, breakfasts around the world. And so I, I brought in uh, examples of typical breakfasts from the Middle East and from Japan and from uh, South America and so on and so forth. And when they got to, uh, well, what, what, what are we, what's a typical American breakfast? And I pulled out from under the, uh, the table there a pizza box and opened it up and there was a few pieces of cold pizza. And I said, this is the classic American breakfast. <laughs> um, but the, the reality is, I mean, what I eat every day, if, if that's what you're asking, is I, I eat Greek yogurt every day and, and uh, I eat it with, with fruit in the winter and in the summer I eat it with tomatoes and chilies. You go savory in the summer? Yeah. I'm into that. My mom's the same way. She does uh, yogurt and cottage cheese with savory for breakfast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are you, do you have a brand of, of Greek yogurt that you're going for? Faye. Yeah. I think it's good, yeah. Faye. Are you going, are you going 1%, 2%, going 0%? 0%, yeah. Good man. Yeah, Good man. Yeah. Are you on your statin journey as we all food writers oh, yeah. are? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're all, we, got, we, we, we have various levels of the big boys or the middle boy yeah, pills. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had to right. interject that. Uh, the best dessert. I'm not a big dessert eater, uh, but I do love ice cream. And uh, I, I'm kind of addicted to this Jenny's flavor, which is called uh, Peach Preserve and Sweet Cream Biscuit. Your favorite cookbook of all time? Really tough, but um, I would have to say probably the classic Italian cookbook by Marcella Hassan. Marcella, yeah. yeah. Did you have a relationship with her? Did you ever write yeah. about her? Um, yeah, I mean, I knew her, and we, we used, I, I was at her 80th birthday party, and we, we, we've had meals together, and uh, with Dorothy, who's a good friend of hers, and and I know yep. Victor, and, you know, yeah, sure. Yeah, Dorothy does talk about that in her interview yeah, as yeah, well, yeah. That, that, that birthday party that you went to. Mm. Your favorite recent cookbook discovery? Well, I just was looking at something. I, um, because of my relationship with Ireland and the food community there, I'm a judge with the Irish Food Writing Awards every year, and they just sent me a bunch of cookbooks. And uh, the the one that I named is Cookbook of the Year, and uh, it's really a beautiful cookbook and and uh, very uh, uh, evocative of the food. Is something called Paradiso by a chef named Dennis Cotter. 
Um, it won't be available here, but it'll probably be available to order. Um, Paradiso was a, it's a restaurant in Cork, and it was originally called Cafe Paradiso. It's become a little more upscale now. But he's a vegetarian chef, uh, and it's kind of a cliche to say this, but he's one of those vegetarian chefs where if you're not really paying attention, you won't realize it's vegetarian food. It, it's incredibly complex, uh, savory, imaginative, uh, varied and he captures all that in the cookbook very well. So uh, that's, that's top, I love of, that. top of mind oh, to man, me right now. I love now. that reference. And I'm yeah. sure if you call up Matt at Kitchen Arts and Letters, he'll get that book for you. Yeah. So you yeah, can probably sure. find it. Um, okay, let's go into your favorite New York City restaurant classic edition. Yeah, they're all closed. Uh-huh. <laughs> 21 Club. Yeah, 21's uh, RIP. Four Seasons, you know, whatever. Um, what about the new Four Seasons, the pool and the grill? Do you go back there? I, I haven't been, actually. Yeah. Uh, no particular reason. I I come into the city pretty seldom now. Um, yeah. But um, I mean, I'd, I'd give you more old old fashioned choices. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, the tavern at the Oyster Bar in Grand Central, or yeah, or a Keens or something. You know, old fashioned kind those of. Those are great. No, those are great choices. Los Angeles favorite restaurant, classic edition. Again, they're closed. Chasen's, Scandia, things like that. Uh, but the one, uh, the ones that are still open, uh, Musso and Frank's, I'd say. Uh, so good. Possibly Dantana's is another contender, but Musso's. Uh, You're hitting those. Do you have a relationship with Michael McCarthy? Do you go to Michael's in either coast? I, I, I know Michael really well, and uh, I used to go to Michael's here when I uh, spent more time in New York. And I I occasionally uh, go in Santa Monica when I'm, when I'm there. But, yeah, we've known each other for years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In fact, um, when he first opened the restaurant, uh, I assigned at New West, I assigned Ruth to write an article uh, kind of tracking it from the early days before they opened wow. until they opened uh, the original restaurant, which is, yeah, it's really something when the chefs were Jonathan Waxman, Ken Frank. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's yeah. that's that's a, a start of uh, of something um, in the in the vein of California cuisine. Yeah, absolutely. That's like a real epicenter. Michael will be on the show at some point. I, I'm, oh, cool. I'm hoping to have him on. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite new New York City restaurant? How new? <laughs> Listen, it's up to you. It could be the last 30 years. Yeah. I, well, I, I mean, uh, I guess the one I go to the most often, and it's partly because the owner's a really good friend of mine, is Barbudo. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Waxman's place. Um, one that I don't have a personal connection with that's newer, um, uh, that I think is really good, is Via Carota. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, very, very imaginative. And the, every time I've been, the food has been right on. Yep. It's a uh, special place. Yeah. couple more. Yeah. A chef you would want to work or learn under. Okay. I would not want to work under any chef. That, <laughs> that is far too hard. Yeah. I, yeah. I've never uh, had a desire. I've, I've actually worked a little bit in, in a kitchen in L.A. at one point, but I would not want to work under anyone. As far as who I'd like to learn under, I mean, I think probably any chef I can imagine could teach me things. Yeah. I'm the same way. I, I feel like you could learn anything from a, from a chef yeah. who knows half, yeah. half their business. Exactly. A couple more. Your favorite vegetable? Well, not counting the alliums. Uh, Fair. Yeah. I like the caveat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> can I Can I say chilies? Yeah, sure. Got those? Okay. I'll that, say that chilies. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's the dynamic choice. Yeah. Lots of different chilies. Last one, your favorite sandwich. Do you consider burgers to be sandwiches? No, absolutely not. All right. That is not a sandwich. Yeah, okay. That is a hamburger. All right. In, in that case, I'd say probably BLT. Yeah. But only in the summer. Only in the summer. It's a three or four month window here in the yeah, East Coast. exactly. Coleman Andrews, this is such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining This Is Taste. Thank you. This is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com 
And make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening. 